And welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast, along with my partners, Brian Siegla, Jonathan Talley, and Shelton Moss. I am Curtis Wilson, and this episode is brought to you by Dr. Jeremy Counts down at the Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg, your friendly neighborhood pharmacy, 301 South Main Street. Definitely go see Jeremy. Rowdy for Robbie is back this week in Lot 1. If you don't follow Grayson Wimbush, follow him. He'll give you the exact location. I got a feeling it's probably in 164 again next to Castle. And it's $7, and you always can pick it up at the pharmacy as well. Gentlemen, how's it going on a uh, cool fall Tuesday night? Man, that weather feels good, don't it? It's finally turning into fall. Or false fall, I don't know. We might get some more summertime, but in the morning time, it's feeling like fall down here. I hear that. I don't think we get any more false fall. I think that's it. I think up here it's it. Now down there in Alabama, maybe y'all get one more eighty-five degree week. I think I don't know here, what false fall feels like in Alabama, so you got you got to tell me yeah, what that's well, like. Go ahead. What, <laughs> well, you go through all four seasons in one day, just about. You'll wake up, and uh, it's like fifty degrees, and then during the day, so you have to turn your defrost on to get the frost off of your window in the morning time before you take the kids to school and do whatever. And just about when you're, uh, you go get breakfast or coffee and start heading back home. So 30 minutes, it's like, all right, it's getting too hot. I got to turn this off. So you go from about 50, 52 to about 70. And then on into the middle of the day, you get to about 85. And then all it right. just dwindles down on for the rest of the day. So you go through about all four seasons. In one day. In one day. In one day. Man, we, we had a few of those, man. Like, I think it was a couple weeks back. We had, like, two or three days in a row. There was, like, a 40-degree swing from the from the morning temps to the evening temps. It was, yep. like, 53 in the morning to 93 in the afternoon. And that's why I sound like I do right now because the it, when the weather can't settle, my allergies and my sinuses are just out of control. They like Yeah, I'm fighting too. I got, I got one – this, this, this sinus right here is on fire. <laughs> Ooh, buddy. All righty. Well, we got a lot to uncover. Obviously, Hokies fall to FSU 39-17. We're going to talk about that. Then we're going to preview the Wake Forest, know the enemy. But before we start all that stuff, I want to give a shout-out to all of our listeners because last week was our largest combined episode we have ever had. Between Not quite. Me- not quite. Not just, quite? Just- not quite, not quite. The uh, we had we had the episode back there with the panel that that hit a bunch of uh, high points there. But this this is the uh, highest episode when it's just the crew, just the crew, just the crew. Three thousand listens, over seventeen hundred on YouTube, thirteen hundred plus just downloading from podcast sources, and we won't thank y'all because legitimately we lost tally. I don't know where he went. I mean, because legitimately, we are we're four fans. Shelton writes a ton, and kudos to him for that. If you do not check Shelton's workout on the key play, y'all need to subscribe just for Shelton's articles in general. It's awesome. I appreciate that. Anytime. Your articles are awesome, man. But we're just four fans, and we love talking about this and researching it and writing about it and talking about it and making notes and sitting around that we're going to get Tally back. But that's what we are, you know. <laughs> Shelton is an alum. Us three are not. 
And just to do this and have 3,000 people want to listen to your opinion on it, it means a lot to us. And so want to tip the hat to everybody out there listening. Um, is he gone? It looks like he said he lost internet there full stop. So hopefully he can get that back on. But if not, we, 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 we go forward, man. We go forward. We move. We move. And let's hit some news and notes while hopefully Tally can get a connection here. Um, and let's just – let's drop this. I'm sure you all saw the news. Former Hokie head coach Justin Fuente is going to Indiana as an offensive analyst. Thoughts, gentlemen? I mean, that makes a whole lot of sense uh, from his standpoint. I mean, it's a – it's an offensive job where he can kind of get back to his bread and butter. It's an analyst position where he doesn't have to deal with all of the other stuff that he demonstrated. He was not very good at, at Virginia tech. So um, like I said, overall, I think that's a, that's a good solid fit for his skill set at this point in his career. Sean, any, any thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, of all the things that I would knock Justin Fuente for, I think his knowledge of the X's and O's of football is not one of them. I mean, I've talked to coaches who use his run packages from TCU, and you could also look at the way that he he neutralized J.J. Watt in that bowl game they had against against Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl back a few years ago. So he knows football, like Brian said, I think it's just a better fit for him being an offensive analyst because he can sort of, you know, get away from the recruiting aspect and just focus on ball, which is his forte. Tally, we are discussing uh, ex-Hokey coach Justin Fuente taking a job with Indiana as an offensive analyst. As long as he ain't got to do no recruiting and stuff, he'll be fine. As long as he got to talk to no parents, as long as he ain't got to go make no crazy decisions, like if he's just in the background collecting the check. He doesn't have to glad hand donors. He doesn't he's have to a, do any he's of that a good, He's a pretty good football <laughs> mind. And no, I do not have great value internet. That would be an upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> I have Alabama internet. Oh, and it sucks. <laughs> Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter what you do. Oh my gosh. Well, I think y'all are right. It is it is his wheelhouse. It's an offensive analyst job. Again, he doesn't have to do anything but break stuff down and put stuff out there. And like you said, Shelton, some of those concepts he had at TCU and when we saw it flash at times here, you knew it was right. But I think for him in general, I think that's probably where he lands. And by the way, I'm kind of shocked as big as his buyout was. And I know that's an ill point with everybody. I mean, we're right at two years, like right at two years, a couple weeks away from two years. I thought it'd be a couple more before he went back to work. Just stacking that's shit, fair. Man. That's fair. Well, that's fair. All right. Let, let, I mean, let, so does that mean grit is coming to Indiana? Oh, well. Tom Allen's safe there. He's an alum, and he's given a couple of their best seasons of all time. So, maybe. question is, did he become OC at Indiana? That will be a bigger interest thing. All right. I did not get to see this on Saturday night. I got texted about it from from this from, from this panel right here. Saw it on Sunday morning. Anybody want to explain what the – was – Miami doing with 35 seconds left at the end of the game? I don't know, man. I tried my best to make sense of it. I was like, <laughs> do they just not want any negative plays? I don't, you know, maybe taking a knee gives your offense a negative run. I don't know. It's just, we stat watching on uh, in, in college football. Somebody uh, got some uh, 
So I know what it was. Somebody had the more than on uh, on prize picks and it was going to fuck them up. It had to be something, man, because it's like <laughs> there's no reason to run the ball. No reason at all. But but the worst part, I'll, I'll let you chime in. The worst part was, okay, you'd run and they fumbled. The worst part was, okay, the 30-yard game was not the worst part. They made a good play. The worst part was the touchdown. Why do you have two guys back there? They're going to have to throw somewhat of a Hail Mary to get it to the end zone from 40-plus yards out. Yeah. Sheldon, any, any, did you get to watch this? Did you see this live by chance, or did you see the text and be like, what did they do? Yes, I actually did see it live. I, I caught it right as the fumble was happening. I don't understand defensively how they gave up that those big touch, those big passing plays when they were dropping eight into coverage, like, I don't understand how that works. I mean, you're playing prevent defense. You know that the the one job you have is to not get beat deep, and they got beat deep. Just don't get beat deep. And they got beat deep two times. (laughs) The last time was still the worst because I I sit here as a coach, or I sit here thinking as a coach, okay, what what do they need? They need a touchdown, right? Yeah. Yep. Four guys are going to stand at the goal line. You don't at least. Leave, you do not leave. Your, your heels do not leave the goal line until you just don't goal. let him get to the. Just don't let nobody get to the goal line. But he got behind him, so you're you're in at least a nickel, probably a dime look, and every single one of those people that has a DB attached to their name needs to be on that fucking end zone. Yeah, ready to knock that shit down and get that shit out of there. It's really funny like, that that happened. And, and I mean, you get, you get burned twice. Like, you didn't happened. even learn from your mistake. Yeah. I don't know why it happened, but I was happy. I wanted my. I mean, it's hilarious. I wanted it. Well, y'all yeah, know that's not the first time it happened. Oh, oh no. Uh, yeah. We, we, we've seen it before. It did it Chris, out there in Oregon. Oregon. Almost lost the stand for doing the same shit. So, I'll tell you what, might need to get that man beat. Right. Some, somebody needs to to send him the victory formation play design. You can even do it out of shotgun. Now. Here's a present. Yeah, do it out of shotgun. Do it however you want to do it. You don't have to teach your quarterback to take a snap under center to do this. Not anymore. Receive Not anymore. the snap, take a knee. That's all you got to do. Game over WNN College. All right, well, let's move to it, boys. Let's move to Tell the Truth Tuesday of what went well, what went bad, anything we weren't prepared for, and things we got to do better moving forward. Some of these will sound monotonous from the last few weeks. That's okay because that means we got to still do things better. But I'm going to start out the gate here, and let's start with what went well. Brian, what is something you felt like went well on Saturday? Uh, We ran the football pretty well, man. Um, considering the opponent, um, I think we ran the ball pretty well overall. Um, I like seeing drones on that big run, um, stepping up in the pocket, making a big run about a 40 yard carry. I believe, um, Malachi Thomas had his best game of the season. Um, we mixed in Tootin there a little bit. We saw, uh, you know, we had a chance black and Bryce Duke sighting late. Not that that really played a factor in the, in that very much, especially with, uh, the ball getting on the turf a little bit there, but um, overall, I mean, if if we had been a little bit better in some other areas, I'd I'd have been okay overall with the run performance. Kyle, what about you? What do you feel like went well on Saturday afternoon? We returned a kick. We hadn't done that in a long time. You know what, Tootin, uh, which Tootin is just a man. Like he he is getting hit. 
before he gets the ball, he's bouncing off people. So he may, I think he only had what 30 yards rushing or 25 yards rushing and maybe yeah. 25 yards receiving, something like that. But he takes one to the house, and I'm like yelling at the TV, why do you keep putting our starting running back back there to run off a <laughs> to run a kick and then he runs it back? So I sit down and shut up. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, I think it's been 11 years since we returned a kickoff, and yep. he did it. And it's crazy because if you go watch that kick, he wasn't running fast until – like he just kept hitting more gears. Like he 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 was, you know, moseying along. Then he felt some pressure. He hit another gear. Then he felt the dude about to catch him. He hit another gear. I was like, God damn, how fast can he run? So that was that was good to see. That was awesome to see. Sean, what about you? What did we do well? They covered. They covered the screen. <laughs> that is, that is the it. most important thing. Yeah. I mean, obviously the, the kickoff return helped. I thought the rushing game was, you know, pretty solid, all things considered. Success, success rate-wise, they, they held up pretty well. They stayed on schedule for the most part. So I thought it was a pretty, a pretty solid performance relative to the quality of the opposition. All right. I'm, 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 I'm kind of with you on that. Um, the one thing I said, and we said this in the keys last week, is keep FSU in front of you, right? Keep mm-hmm. FSU, the passing game especially. Keep that passing game in front of you. And we did. Now, the first quarter, they drove the ball three separate times, took about four and a half minutes each time. We gave them 22 points. That's not great. But it's one of those things that, you know, people are going to be pissed anytime you – People score on you or you lose a game. But the whole idea of keeping people in front of you is more plays. More plays equals more chances for people to make mistakes, to make errors, to force turnovers. So when we were doing – they were driving like that first one where they're driving, they're driving, they're driving. Remember is the third one. Kalai Lawson always had a pick because wherever he dropped, Jordan Travis missed him and he almost had the pick. So when I say that, keep teams in front of you, it's not necessarily, well, what if they keep scoring? Because let's talk about the red zone defense later. Um, But that piece is eventually somebody's going to make an error. Or eventually it's going to be third and short, and they're going to run the wrong play, and they're going to have to punt. That's just those things we can build on. Anything else that, you know, offensively or defensively that caught y'all's eye that, you know, from Saturday? Um, I mean, I think the big thing, we got, we got some pressure on the quarterback. I mean, they hadn't really surrendered a ton of pressure, especially getting home. And, you know, we were able to do that somewhat consistently, um, especially in those kind of middle quarters where we kind of made a little bit of a run there. So um, you like to see that. Hopefully that can continue um, as we kind of move forward here to uh, Wake Forest this week because we're going to need to get some pressure, I think, on the quarterback to to um, affect what they do well with that slow mesh. Yeah, Tally mentioned it last week. They'd only given up four sacks all year. We got two Saturday, and he was he was pressured. They're only giving up one. They'd only given up one. They'd only so given we up one sack. And we pressured him numerous times. Jordan Travis got out of it. We talked about it. He's he's athletic. He's slippery. So. That is what it is. But, again, you keep seeing that against the level of that competition. You know, obviously things went bad. You lost the game. But right. when you see – well, we ran the ball well against them. Okay, that's good. 
we had some special teams. We did pretty good there. We kept them in front of us. They did not hit explosive pass plays. But let's talk about what went bad because it happened again, y'all. Don't say it. Don't even don't even say hey, it. Hey, say it, Sheldon. Say it. It happened again. It's one of your favorite categories. What? What, what went bad? Explosive plays. Yes, explosive plays. plays. Explosive ruins. Now we can't fix it, man. We can't well, fix it. All right. Well, let's let's be real though. For the two, because it was an 85-yarder. That was bad. The 85-yarder, we pulled up the tape. I'd ask people to cover their eyes because Jaden McDonald just completely messed that up, completely. The other one, I looked at it like four times myself, and then I conferred with our offensive line specialist over here. The first one was just a good block play. Nobody was really – it wasn't bad fits or anything. It was fit right. They just blocked it well, which, yeah. again, you play a team like Florida State with that much talent, guess what happens? Oh, yeah, it's going to be a talent discrepancy. You know, you're going you're gonna to run into a play where they're just better than you. But the thing that bothers me is that we played six games. Mm-hmm. What we have is what we are. You know what yeah. I'm saying? It's, it's kind of like what we see is what we get. And this is going on every week. You know, you think you got defensive coordinator that's been a long time linebacker coach. You got Pry, who's a defensive guy, linebacker coach. And we just continuously give up big runs when we need one stop. Go back to the Rutgers game. It's like third and one, third and two. They Uh break off a big run. You go to the Marshall game and so on and so forth. It's not anything that I think they can fix in in the season. I think Shelton probably said this like numerous times in the chat. Like it's a it's a talent deficiency that we have to fix in the offseason. So they gotta go in this portal and they gotta get some help because yeah, the run fits have been bad, but when you start playing certain teams, it's like the run fits is bad because you don't know what you're doing or you just don't have the capability to fix it. So that's what's frustrating. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm, I was going to save this for a little while, but I'll bring it up now about what to do better moving forward. It is com- it's night and day when Tisdale and Lost are on the field. Yeah, the fits are there; they're good. If anybody else or any combination or one of them's all, it's it legitimately just. And with yeah. Tisdale and Lawson, Brian, they made some mistakes earlier, but those two guys have fixed. Yeah, they, they've definitely cleaned up some of their uh, errors as the season has gone on. Um, I mean, they're, they're, the first long touchdown, they were both on the field. Lawson slightly over-pursued. Um, Tisdale a little slow getting there, but they, they were more or less where they needed to be. It was just also a well-blocked play. Um, you know, the other play, you, you can't make that, that move uh, if you're McDonald. You can't try to undercut the the blocker uh in in another gap and and make that play from behind you, you're not that athletic um I, I was saying earlier you know you're not you're not Michael Parsons here you're not you're not equipped to make that play right now um you need to play sound play within the structure and make them earn it uh when when you do stuff like that that's that risky against a a, a good team and a defense that's already struggling with these things that that's the outcome. 
right. Any anything else y'all want to add to that of what went bad about the explosive runs? All right. Not really. Yeah. Tallies. I think we're tired of talking about it. The issue is we keep yeah. freaking we doing keep, it. So we I mean, at some point we just it. either need to see it get better or we're going to keep having to bring it up every week. So. Bring it up every week because it's not getting better. Hey, yeah, hey, I mean, hey, I don't want to be the dead horse here. here. It did against Pitt. So it maybe, against Pitt. maybe Hokie Nation can show up again and like be the 12th man and help us because whatever happened against Pitt, we need it to happen this weekend too. Yeah. It's going to be nice to have it this weekend. All right, something else I saw that went bad. Overall, the numbers look good. Money downs, Florida State was 6 for 13. That is under 50%. I think it's pretty good. The bigger issue is, is in the first quarter, they were 5 for 5. Yeah. On all those touchdown drives. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and, you got, and, and they got home on all. like So, they weren't they weren't just 5 for 5, but they put points on there every time. So, um, you yeah, falling down 22, I mean, that's just – that's killer, man. That kills you. It does. And it was the whole thing is when you see five for five, Tally, you can say it. You And you've said it a couple times already. The opportunities were there to stop the drive. Yeah. You got to have – and that's where playmakers come up. You know what I'm saying? I ain't saying, like, you got to go recruit all five stars. But when you have people in places that step up and make plays like that, like that's where the cream of the crop rises. You know what I'm saying? I think we have – a couple of people who can do that, but consistently we're not showing that we can do that across the board. You know, like I watched Delane play and he's he's balling. Like he's a he's a I seen him jump over a six seven guy, you know, to go yep. defend a pass. Mm-hmm. He just can do some stuff that you can't teach. You yep. know what I'm saying? So we got to find those players, and we may have some already there. You know, I know we got a lot of young guys and stuff. I'm not saying I'm down on the team. I'm just saying for right yeah, here, yeah. right now, we got to have some guys to step up and be able to do that, to be like, I'm going to put the team on my back to make this play. I'm going I'm to make a point to this, because you just made the point about Delane making those that play on Johnny Wilson um, and for the most part holding his own. And it, and it goes back to the blend, right? You've got to have some guys like that. But the other guys have to be the guys who are going to be disciplined, know exactly where they're going and what they're doing, and that's what they're going to be consistent every single time. And the issue is we got Lawson. Freak. Delane's great. Strong's good. Uh, Stroman. People – and you got those four. But APR is flashing. APR is flashing. But then, like right now, you've got a guy like Nasir Peoples getting back. Safety play was much better Saturday. Yeah. But he's that steady Eddie. And and the thing is we're missing right now is it's the guys behind some of them. Oh, yeah. The we're missing. Pieces. All you want – and to me, all we want with those pieces is I don't look for freak steady. That's the steady. The second team linebacker, steady. You're going to go to the right holes. You're not going to do anything stupid. You're going to break your guy down right. You're going to leverage the outside. We don't have those guys. Now, could Stone Snyder have been it? Maybe. Maybe not. We'll never know. It'll be a big unknown question. To your point, I think the portal's got to be hit on the linebacker side. Oh, it's yeah. like you got to find just some good, solid players. Like, hey, you're going to get about 15 snaps a game. You're going to play special teams. Come here. Trenches, trenches and line. I mean, trenches and, and linebacker room. Right got to address that. And at least one safety. And at least one safety because Nasir is gone. We cannot bring him back. Uh, but um, if you look at if you look at our – and we ain't got to go into this – all tonight, yeah. 
But if you yeah. look at what we have on the team, if they can hold it together, like the, the main job of the coaches this offseason should be, let me keep the good that I have here. Let me make sure nobody leaves early. Let me make sure nobody transfers that can come back because a lot of these names that we're calling that are flashing and are making plays can come back. Yep. If you pay, if you place the right people with them in the transfer portal, then you start to build like a Florida State does. You know what yep. I'm saying? Like I like we talked about it before the game. The way that they built the team, the way that Norvell did it, is a game plan for pride if he uses it right. You know what I'm saying? Again, I don't think we're Florida State. They're they're different than we are, but I'm just saying how he's built his team is a way that you can look at it. Because some of the way we will never build a team like Dion because we're not, we don't have the Dion. You know what I'm saying? But the yeah. way Norvell did it, we can do that. So I'm just hoping yeah. these guys can uh, move forward like that. I agree because if you look at it, um, you know, I think we can incrementally backfill here because, I mean, you look at Florida State, a lot of those, their key players uh, came over in the transfer portal. And I think if we can have another offseason where we fill in those holes like we did in this one, uh, I think it needs to be more defensive focus, whereas last season, last offseason was offensive focus. But, I mean, if you look at our offense, I mean, our transfers are accounting for like 75% of our offensive production. They are. It's not even a joke. So that tells you that we've had success in the transfer board. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's talk about kind of some things that went bad on the offensive side of the ball. And I and I and I I'm sorry I bothered y'all with this and I bothered a few other people with it. Our offensive scheme in the first quarter. Tally, explain to me why we would ever try to attack the edges against Florida State passing or running the ball. No. <laughs> they faster than us. They bigger than us. You know what I'm saying. They're more athletic than us. Attacking the edges wasn't gonna work. But what I was more worried about was why did we come out trying to throw the ball so much? Like when we start running the ball, and you can say, you know, well they took their foot off the gas, or they did this. They still had their starters on the field, and their starters still wanted to hit our players. They were still hitting, and we averaged six yards a carry. You know, some of those was drones breaking, you know, breaking a run on a on a pass play. But we came out in the first three plays was pass plays. That should never be us. That is not what we're going to be good at at all. We don't got the line to do it, especially not against that team. So back to what you said, Curtis, the early scheme, I was blown. I don't know what we was doing, but it went bad. It definitely went bad. Brian, what you say? Yeah, I did not like uh, how much we were throwing the ball around. I didn't have a problem with the first down throws, but, you know, sometimes when those aren't successful, you kind of get in this cycle where you feel like you have to throw it after that. So not having that early success and not, not really emphasizing the ground game, which, I mean, that's what we've shown. Ironically, like the first three weeks, we couldn't move the damn ball. And now all of a sudden, I feel like we have found – how we can run the ball, but we didn't get to that fast enough on Saturday against FSU. We didn't get to that that mode. Yeah. Um, and I think that if we could have, like, 
at least had a, had a nice little sustained drive in that that early push, giving the defense a little bit more time to settle in. Because once once Barr made some adjustments on that side, you know, it, other than those two big plays that came in the second half, they didn't really do a ton, right? So if we could have got a little bit more offense going in that early run and slowed down what they were doing on offense, I think that could have, you know, really put us in a better spot as we kind of moved into the second quarter there. But we, we just kind of went out there and slung it around a little bit, got off the field, and the defense was back on there doing it again. Sheldon, anything on the early offensive scheme, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, this was a game where they were far more efficient running the ball than throwing it. I mean, just looking at the success rate, when rushing, they're about 55% successful compared to passing about 28%. So, I mean, that's kind of twice as twice as effective. And I think this is probably Kyron Jones' worst game just from a pure efficiency standpoint. So, they, I mean, they just couldn't get anything going in the passing game. And, you know... I can understand why you'd want to run the ball more, but it might, you know, not be particularly tempting against that Florida State front. But they did have success with it, so I don't know. It's it's always a, a balance as an OC between, you know, going with what works versus not trying to be too predictable. Because if you just try to hammer, you know, an inside zone all day, then you know Florida State can adjust that too. So I'm sure that's probably a reason for why they had the splits that they did, but certainly beats me. Yep. And, and if you're wondering how much, first nine plays, seven passes, two runs. The first three series were all three and outs. Um, let's talk about it just real quick because it's we're, we're keep beating the dead horse here. Again, offensive line play still ain't there. Um, Sean, do you have the grades for the offensive line? For this particular game, yeah, I can pull them up. Just give me one sec. All right, Brian Talley, just just watching from the tape, anything stood out, anything that jumped while Sheldon gets the, the stat points? Right side is still bad. Uh, Braylon Moore played his best game, I feel like. I was going to say um, kind of what Brian said, right side is still bad. I don't understand why they haven't addressed that. I mean, you got to try to do something, right? But um, some plays, you know, not to just say everything was all bad, some plays, again, we were messing up, but we messed up going full speed. I'm okay with that. Like, that play where Tootin scored and he jumped over the kid, it was not block perfect. People were in the right places when they pulled. Uh, Chaplin was in the right place. He kind of pushed his guy. But the guy that he pushed was the guy that Tootin jumped over. So I'd like to see him finish that block, drive that man on out of the play. But I can say, hey – for a guy that's what he's like six six, three hundred and something pounds. Yeah. Like he was getting on the outside, he was moving. You know what I'm saying? So it is some stuff that you can see that's going good or that you can build on, but that right side is horrible. You know, their defensive line was eating us alive. But I think we only gave up like two sacks, which I didn't think we I thought we'd have gave up like seven. It felt yeah. like seven, but yeah. I mean they were living in the backfield on any like true Drones drop back. Was, Drones was running for his life. Yeah. So. so Sean, what does it say about uh the uh the grades? Who is our highest, lowest, or the order of them? Well, sure enough, Brian's intuition was correct because Brandon Moore did have the highest grade among offensive linemen. And then you've got uh, also in addition to that, um Caden Moore is okay, probably average. 
Chaplin a little bit below average, and then Parker Clements below average as well. Shake had a rough game, and Brody Bittis had a really rough game. So, you know, it's it's a little bit both right side and left side, but I think I mean I, I saw one play where Shake got, you know, twisted around by first eight DT and gave up a, a pressure. I mean he's he's had a really rough go. I mean he's been okay in pass protection, but the run game has been has been really rough for him. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and y'all were talking about it. They did have two sacks, five additional tackles for loss. So they were in backfield seven plays mm-hmm. um, with it. I um, feel like this game was the game where Brody's physicality and youth kind of showed up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because you're finally playing against guys that are head and shoulders above you talent-wise. And, and yeah. I think his inexperience showed up there. Makes sense. Makes perfect sense. All righty, last thing I want to hit on here, and we mentioned it, that we needed to be good on third down and fourth down. We were not good at all. Um, five for 17 total. Obviously, the first one, we're 0-3 out of the gate. And, again, we, we we mentioned it last week. The only way we're going this game is play perfect. Five for 17 on those downs, you ain't going to get it done. You ain't going to get it done. You needed to be somewhere between, to me, eight – because if you think eight, eight's your think, minimum, eight's your eight, minimum. Eight, right eight for 17 at like, what's that, 47%? You can yeah. live because you extend a couple drives. Like, you, you slow their momentum down potentially early. And, and there, there's nothing you can say about that, but just it was bad. I do, I do compliment Pry for, you know, about midfield, down late, down what, 17 or down 15? Screw it, we're going for it. We're we going for it. Because what was bad, and I still haven't seen anything. Anybody seen the spot on that fourth and 16? And it, it legitimately – Drones breaks the pocket, goes. As he's going out of bounds, he extends his arm. Yeah, I mean, it looked like he had it – well, like, had it pretty good. And then it was it was like a full yard spot off. It was a couple of spots like that, too. I think it was one where Malachi might have caught a pass across the middle and – got tackled like right on the line and they spotted him short. And I think we ended up, you know, trying to do a quarterback sneak and fumbling the ball in the backfield, you know, just different stuff like that, man. And that you really don't think about, okay, those spots don't, it ain't that bad. And then it just trickles into something else, but. um, It makes you run an extra play. It doesn't, the the, the, the change don't reset. By the way, can I say something about that fumble? Yep. Connor Drone was in that pile for about three and a half seconds. Oh, yeah. In your life, how long does it normally take for a pile like that for them to blow a whistle and call momentum stop? About, about a second and a half. Yeah. That, that thing is – he jumped in there. I'm like, oh, he's got it. Why ain't they blowing the – there's the ball out. I was yeah. like, what the – by the way, the other one, Strowman definitely targeting. But – and this is bad on the rest part. You tell me how. I, I'm sitting down with a, a guy who was not a Virginia Tech fan. When Drones had that big run and is going, they hit him in his ear hole yeah. with his with his shoulder. Well, that ain't targeted. Yes, it is. Head and neck area is part of the targeting rule. You cannot right. throw your shoulder. Not even did, if y'all didn't notice. You knew who lost his shit on the sidelines when that happened. Who? Coach Pry. He was like, he, hit him, oh, he was like screaming like he hit him right in the ear hole. He was mad. They didn't even review it. Mm-mm. Yeah. What What's crazy is I watched a uh, Florida State guy, and he has a pretty good podcast. I can't remember the name. I think it's like No Slaw or something like that. Uh, so I watched his podcast, and he's got a whole podcast dedicated to how the refs screwed them in that Virginia Tech game. 
And I was like, what? So it was Florida State fans like livid that they were up 22 to zero. And, you know, the refs tried to get us back in the game. And I was like, hey, man, you may be right, but y'all had your, you had your, you had your hand at getting some good calls. There, too. there was some shit on the other, other <laughs> side, too. Yeah, they, they might have missed some stuff. I ain't saying they didn't, but they definitely gave you some calls, too. It was a bad call game, regardless of whether you think it swayed one way or the other. It wasn't yeah. a very well officiated game. Yeah. Not at all. They did not have a they did not have the top crew there. I don't know where the top crew was. All right. Let's go to this next. Anything that we were not prepared for. And I'm gonna leave this one off instead of throwing it to y'all. Because I'm gonna be honest, not really. I expected Florida State to have one big quarter. I did. I expected them to have somewhere between 17 plus points. What I did not expect, I did not expect it out the gate. To me, I think in my head it was going to be third quarter, third third quarter going into fourth where they just put us away. Um, So everything else, how they played, they are as advertised. I've watched the LSU game. I watched some of the Clemson game. They're for real. They are legitimately a national championship contender. And to say, and I know some people say, well, moral victories ain't worth the crap and ain't worth the shit. For three quarters, and Tally, I know people are going to tell you, oh, they took the gas off. They weren't really playing. For three quarters, we played them 17-17. And for the psyche of our team, I think that goes a long way. Yeah. Brian, what do you got? I mean, to me, what surprised me was how wound up we played in that first quarter, um, especially on defense. looked like the entire defense was pressing. Um, they they didn't settle in. They they were looking like they just were a little too tight, a little wound too tight, and playing a little little faster than they needed to. Um, and sometimes that that gets you at a spot where you're giving up those those plays and able able to keep them on the field. They they sustained you know, a bunch of big drives there early um, and got that 22 points on the board real quick. So um, I was glad the coaches were able to settle them down. Um, the adjustments that they made were able to more or less slow down what they were doing, give the offense time to kind of claw back a little bit. Um, but yeah, just kind of disappointed that we're seeing that in another big game. Callie? Uh, kind of, you know, to go with what you said, Curtis, I wasn't really – I ain't going to say it was nothing that I wasn't prepared for, but, you know, I predicted the game to be, I think, 42-21. So you did. You were right, about, right about where I thought we would be as far as what they had. But still, even with that, I I didn't expect them to be so physical. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't think Florida State was going to – I thought they were going to be more finesse just watching some of their games, but they are a really physical team. Like, their wide receivers block – I seen one time like they hit Canteen in the chest. I thought they was gonna uh, knock his back plate off. Like they were physical, <laughs> man. But I can say, you know, something else that I wasn't prepared for was they were physical, but we punched back. Like I seen Delane come up and hit somebody. You know, I seen some people get some licks on him. You know what I'm saying? I seen some people, you know, getting off some blocks, getting to the quarterback. So I don't want to say we matched their physicality because we did get beat 39 to 17. But I do feel like they hit, and then we didn't just go down. Like we we punched back. We might have oh, been yeah. the, we might have lost the fight, but 
when they went and looked in the mirror, we at least gave them some. We scratched their lip or something. You know what I'm saying? Well, they so. they knocked us down. We got backed up and we popped them. Yeah, a few times. Sheldon, what about you? Anything that you were not prepared for on Saturday? Not really. I mean, I thought maybe the the defensive backs weren't as productive as I thought. You know, they'd done pretty well in coverage up to this point, but they got they got cooked pretty well. I can try to find the um, success rate for for passing plays around 48%. So not, not ideal. Um, that's one area where tech, I think has done a really good job this year is, is, uh, you know, keeping, keeping things locked down in the passing game, you know, as compared to the run game, but I don't know. I mean, these games are hard to analyze because you've got, you know, such a disparity in terms of, you know, the, the talent. And I think tech went down by about, you know, nine or 10 spots in, in the defensive SP plus rankings. So, you know, they got they got a little bit of a downgrade there. I think, you know, even when you're playing a team that's really good, you can still you can still make evaluations of, of how you played. And this was just it's just not a great game for the defense point blank. I mean, regardless of if you're playing the Florida State Seminoles or the Washington Generals, you, you gotta play. So they just they just they didn't they didn't make enough plays. All right. Did not make enough plays. All right. Well let's go real quick before we wrap up this segment. Let's just talk about what we can do better moving forward. Brian. What you got with this? Uh, I mean, it's proven across the board this year. We cannot afford slow starts. Mm-hmm. Point blank. We cannot afford to start slow against really any competition, but especially against that level of competition. All right. Tally, what about you? Starts with the quarterback, man. I mean, they took the O out this week. So they did. I say it. The drones is the guy for now. He threw that in there too. But we all know Grant is hurt. So if we're rolling with drones and you want him to be the quarterback of the future, you got to put him in positions to be successful. And the way that he can be successful is using his legs in the passing game, using his legs to when the play breaks down, like they got to constantly be in his ear telling him to look for lanes, constantly be in his ear telling him or running plays, rolling him out. Because um, what I've noticed is, Again, Florida State was really good. He was drifting. You know, we're, we're, we're running plays, and he's drifting back instead of rolling the pocket. And it's so hard to make a – I mean, you just can't you – can't, that's why we looked like we looked in the passing game. So, I'm hoping this week, moving into the weight game, uh, we got to get back into doing what he's good at. Sean, what about you? One thing we can do better moving forward. I mean, I think the the QB run game can, you know, be a little bit better. I think I, – I was looking at the stats last week, and, and we, Jones has been one of the most heavily used quarterbacks in terms of designed runs. Mm-hmm. And I did notice that against Florida State, like, their defensive line was definitely keying on that stuff. Like, there was one run they had at the goal – or near the goal line on first and goal where they had a QB draw for Jones, and Florida State mm-hmm. was right there. So, you know, obviously the defensive lineman will take those gaps and – you know, if they're expecting a key draw, they're going to play a certain way. So, but it, but it's a tough situation for Bowen because obviously, you know, that's kind of like a, a really successful play for Tech. So if defenses start keying in on that, it's going to be a lot harder to to get big plays off of that. So just just find ways to get drones out in space and use his legs, which obviously are his best asset. Well, and you talk about that, like that draw play, because we ran the same draw play the week before and it, it was a touchdown. Build off of it. Show that draw – let them take one false step forward, get the safeties out of position and cross somebody right right where yeah. they'd be. 
That's why you're paid almost a million dollars a year. Because if my stupid self can think about something like that, I hope he can. Um, one jump pad, something. Jump pad, yeah, something. But the whole thing is, it's that layer, right? Teams mm-hmm. are expecting it now. Do something they're not expecting, and the next thing you know, they're sitting there and they're not moving, doing anything, and the lane opens back up. Make them yeah, make give, give me some wrinkles off of what we're already showing and what we're already successful at. If we can right. throw some wrinkles in there, then you at least can set, you know, use it as your bread and butter, but it also sets up some other things if they start keying on it. Right. 100%. One last piece, what we got to do better moving forward, y'all, the red zone defense got to get better. We are dead last. Y'all saw it. There's four teams. We're one of them. That every time a team has entered the red zone, they have scored on us. 14 for 14 entering it. And I know we're at a day and age where kickers are better. You know, the 35-yard field goals are almost becoming something that's a 90% make even in college. But we need a, a turnover. We need to block a kick. We need to effectively, you know, do something because it's killer. Like, you know, teams drive down there and score a touchdown or get a field goal, get points every single time. It, it's one of those will things. And to, to know that you are along with three other teams have not stopped anybody once they've gotten inside of the 20 yard line. I mean, that's gotta be mental, right? Like yeah. for the, not only just for the defense, for the entire team, like, Oh, pass to the 15. Well, they getting something here. I don't it's know kinda, what they're getting yeah. some, it's coming. <clears throat> so kind of like yeah. we were talking about earlier, you got to have somebody that steps up and makes a play. Excuse me. You got to have a playmaker there. You got to have somebody that says, hey, we're not going to let them score. I don't know what we're going to do, but we get a pick. You know, I don't know. So, force a fumble. Like, get force a fumble. Do something. Block a kick. Do something. Get an yeah. offensive lineman in there on, on field goal block and get, get, get a big ass hand up there and get a little piece of it. 100%. All right, so, y'all, before we get into Know the Enemy, we are going to take a quick pause from our digital partners and Main Street Pharmacy. I can probably save you a lot of money, and I can take a lot better care of you. That's pretty much it. My name is Jeremy Counts, and I'm a pharmacist. I own and operate Main Street Pharmacy here in downtown Blacksburg. My brother's a pharmacist, I'm a pharmacist, my uncle's a pharmacist, my dad's a pharmacist. I remember he would give me M&Ms to count in little pill counters. This is something I've always done, and I'm just lucky that what I know so well is something that I can do and feel good about it and give back to people. Pharmacies are your frontline defense. Pharmacy's job is to make sure you're getting optimal care for the lowest price possible. Also, we take the pressure off of emergency rooms. I'll tell people immediately when they need to go to the doctor, or I'll tell them if they just need a cream over the counter. If there's something that isn't commercially available, if it's something that's not available in a certain strength or a certain form or anything like that, we'll make it. Tailor-made medications. Some of those options save people a lot of money. What motivates me? I get to take care of people and live in Blacksburg. That's all I need. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. All right, so let's get into it. Let's get into Know the Enemy Wake Forest. We play 330 ACC Network Lane Stadium. It is homecoming weekend. Uh, Sheldon, before I get into this, are you going down for homecoming weekend? Unfortunately, no. I have this thing called work, which prevents me from doing that. 
the whole damn work. Work, man. Forget work. No, the one, I'm the good. one drawback, the one drawback to working in sports is that you do have to work weekends most of the time. So that's yeah. just that's just the price you pay. The price you pay. All right. Well, I'm sorry you can't go for homecoming weekend. I know I've got I've got a few friends here that are they're they're going Thursday to Sunday, boys. Oh, y'all think we can get away with that? They're long hauling it. They're long hauling. Yeah. I love that shit. Yeah. He, Mason long hauling it, man. I like because he, he's not coming Thursday night. That's yeah, why. Yeah, he, 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 he talked to me. He's like, I'll be on the road Thursday. I was like, all right, go do your thing, man. Going for it. All right, well, let's get into it, and let's talk about the offense. Uh, let's get into talk about the scheme. Let's talk about Warren Ruggiero's scheme. And little little nugget here. D, uh, D-Y-I, did, or D-Y-K, did you know? Warren Ruggiero in 1997, 1998, was the head coach of Glenville State. Guess who was the offensive line coach? Ron I'm Crook. guessing Ron Crook. Ron Crook was the offensive line coach. So, a little uh, little uh, nugget there. Two guys that go way back. So, Brian, let's take a look. What do we have here from this game? Um, this is still your classic Wake Forest slow mesh RPO. Um, not a whole lot has changed on that front. A um, little bit of a less commitment to the the run game from that that slow mesh uh, than previous iterations. Um, still very prevalent though, but you're going to see a little bit more of a mix of outside zone pistol and some other run calls kind of mixed in there with that slow mesh game. Um, and the pass game is absolutely predicated off of a successful rushing attack. So if they're not able to run the football, then none of the other stuff really works very well. All right, Tally, who are we leading off with tonight? So I guess, you know, part of that slow mesh and being able to run and throw the football would be quarterback. So uh, their quarterback is a Virginia kid, is Mitch Griffiths. Um, he is 5'11", about 193. Um, he's from what Broad Run in Ashburn, Virginia, class of 2022. Um, he committed really early to Wake Forest. Uh, he had offers from <clears throat> not super big offers, but I, again, I think it's because he committed so early. Uh, Appalachian State, Harvard, uh, Kenton State. I think he had a West Virginia offer as well, but he committed to uh, Wake Forest in 2018. He was a composite three-star, uh, 87 guy. So, you know, a little bit higher on the three-star uh, level. He was number 17 in Virginia when his uh, class came out. Um, and he was the number 22 dual threat quarterback is what they were calling him. And uh, for this year, he is nine touchdowns, five interceptions. He's got about uh, 1150 in yards. Um, yeah, that's all I got on him. Brian, what you got? Yeah, I mean, he's he's kind of your typical Wake Forest quarterback. He doesn't have that um, elite type of uh, arm that you see from Sam Hartman. So you're taking a step back on that front. Um, but he still could cook pretty well in the short and intermediate passes, um, especially when he gets a clean pocket. Um, doesn't really throw on the run much, um, despite being a threat with his legs, but he is he is really slippery um, between the tackles um, when he keeps it on those uh, those reads in the slow mesh. So that's something to look out for. Um, I would definitely say he's more dangerous with his legs than his arm 
um, in terms of getting consistent first downs and moving the six. Um, yeah, not a great deep ball, but he will take a shot here or there uh, and have some success. Um, and will sometimes uh, keep on the RPO when he probably should and get sacked or hit unnecessarily, creating some situations where that ball is kind of floating out of that backfield and giving some opportunities for some interceptions, as you noted, Tally, with those uh, that uh, touchdown interception ratio. Mm-hmm. Now, Sheldon, you said you got a little, a uh, little more deeper numbers on this kid. Yeah. So again, this is a situation where the stats kind of line up with what Brian was talking about. So, Mitch Griffiths has not had a great season. A second lowest graded quarterback in the ACC, ahead of only Anthony Calandra of UVA, who's been kind of in and out of the starting lineup. Not a ton of big time throws. They are most effective in short passing, so that's zero to nine <clears throat> yards. They don't throw the ball deep a ton. Um, Second, he is the second most sacked quarterback in the Power Five, behind only Shadur Sanders of Colorado. So um, we'll get into some of the offensive line stuff. That's not just on the offensive line; it's also on quarterback play and some other blocking as well. Um, and in terms of their passing structure, not a ton of screens. They do not throw behind the behind the line of scrimmage much at all. Like I said, it's mostly just that short to intermediate passing game that works for Wake. All right. So let's talk about the next part of the slow mesh, and that's going to be the running back room. And I want to make a real quick point here. The gentleman I'm going to bring up first is usually partnered with a guy by the name of Justice Ellison. Justice is currently going through an ankle injury. He suffered it at the Georgia Tech game where he went for over 130 yards, played the first series of the Clemson game, and basically rolled it up again is what Clawson said. So, and, and from, so the look of it, it is going to be this guy who – Callie, shocker, another Virginia kid. Virginia kid. We, another Virginia kid. Yeah. Demond Claiborne out of King William. Shout out Derek, by the way, Brian. Yeah. Over in King William. Shout, shout out, out my, my, my wife's former employer. Your former, exactly. <laughs> so composite, or excuse me, four-star player coming out was a 93 per 247. <clears throat> Ranked in the top 150, a top 10 running back, a top five player in the state when he committed back in the class of 2022. So he is relatively a young buck there. He is five foot nine. He is 200 pounds. And right now having a pretty solid season out of the gate. 82 carries, 371 yards, three touchdowns, only a couple receptions there. So, Brian, um, what are we seeing from Devin Claiborne? Yeah, as you noticed, you know he was partnering with uh, with Justice Ellison there, so he hasn't got a, as much run um, as a normal lead back would. Um, he, he's dynamic. Um, you know, he's caught the ball a couple times out of the backfield. He, he's done a little bit with it every time he's caught it. Um, they just don't do that very often in that offense, so that's kind of why you're not seeing that. Um, finishes runs hard. Really solid vision at the point of attack. Um, I, I wouldn't call him a big play threat. He's not somebody that's going to hit a ton of home runs, but he is that guy that can gash you for those, you know, fifteen to twenty-five yarders. Um, if, if, if if you're not get if you're not getting in the gaps, man, he, he can still put up some uh, some gash plays on you. But he shouldn't be a home run threat unless we, uh, you know, pull what we did against FSU that last uh, eighty-five yarders. So. Um, but he will. He, he has put the ball in the turf a couple times. Uh, that that started. Um, I think it was his first drive there against Clemson, uh, put the ball on the turf there. So um, there's some potential to get maybe a turnover there, but uh, overall a solid back for them. 
All right, Sean, I know you said you had most of the offense. You got some deeper numbers on uh, Claiborne as well. Yeah, 74 overall grade, which is pretty solid. It hasn't translated to uh, yards per rush. Wake hasn't been great there as a team rushing. Claiborne, not a big yards after contact guy. You'll see a lot of gap runs uh, proportion. I think he has the most gap scheme runs in the entire ACC among running backs. And he's not been great in pass protection. Seven pressures allowed. So that's, again, talking about the sack rates. That's a big reason why Wake Forest has allowed so many sacks. It's not just the offensive line. It's also been the running backs and pass protection as well. All righty. Good deal. More to know about Devin Claiborne, the running back. Definitely someone we will probably see get quite a few carries on Saturday. I'm going to flip next to the wide receiver room because, once again, it's a Virginia kid. Hmm. Yep. There's a theme here. There is a theme here. There is a theme here. And his name is Jamal Banks. Now, he did not go to school in Virginia, though. He went up to St. Francis when he came out in 2020. Um, He was an 85, considered a – you know, like a 1,200 ranked player. So way back there, and when he came out, he was only 6'3", 170 pounds. So kind of long and lanky. Uh, this kid's grown. He's 6'4", he's 208 pounds now. He is a big kid. And so far this year with Jamal Banks, um, he has one-third of the receptions of all the past Mitch Griffiths has completed. Just think about it with Tech, between Wells and Drones, the closest is 17%. Jalen Lane has 17% of the calls called. So he's double what Lane's get. So clearly he is their number one ride receiver. Um, and with that, 32 catches, 331 yards, three touchdowns. Um, Brian, based on his size, and we kind of start doing the numbers at 10 a catch, uh, I got a feeling you're going to talk about uh, – I got a feeling I know what you're going to say about this kid. Yeah, I mean, he's their stick mover. Um, he's a guy that they run a lot of those read routes in the, the slow match RPO. So um, he's going to be the guy that they're hitting on those a lot. Um, but they do like to send him out on um, kind of a go or a fade um, down the sideline. He uses his size. They'll do that a lot when they get kind of in plus territory in the red zone. You start seeing those type of routes. But usually between the the 30s, you're going to see a lot more of the, the intermediate stuff and trying to get them to matriculate the ball down the field a little bit. Um, and like a lot of Clawson wide receivers, he's a good stock blocker. So he, he's going to um, do some blocking outside to you know try to open up some rushing lanes too. And what about Banks, Mr. Moss? Six highest graded skill player in the ACC. Probably hasn't gotten the ball as much as he would have liked. Again, not targeted a lot on deep throws. You're just mostly going to see that short zero to nine yard range. So that's kind of that's kind of where they work. All right, it's crazy. He's six, and you expect him to get the ball more because I mean, a third of the, all the passes completed. I'd love to hear his target numbers. But um, if you're looking for a deep threat, and like Brian said, they don't throw it deep. Keep an eye on Wesley Grimes. Um, Grimes is averaging over 20 a catch from them, so he might be their big play guy. Uh, but we're going to flip real quick here, and we're going to talk about the offensive line. I know Shelton has some stuff. Um, so, Shelton, I'll let you leave. What do you have as far as their offensive line goes? And then, Brian, you get into the technical stuff. Yeah, so it was kind of a tough unit for me to analyze just because there's lots of conflicting statistics. So, first off, I had done this research a while back. Virginia Tech and Wake Forest are the only ACC schools that have three starters who had no prior 
starting FBS experience. So for a full season, that is. So obviously with that, there's some growing pains, but despite that fact, they've had had some pretty impressive individual standouts. Uh, left guard Michael Jurgens, highest grade lineman in the conference. Left tackle Spencer Clapp, the highest graded run blocker. Uh, and then on the flip side, the worst graded offensive lineman is uh, right tackle Eric Russell, but he's still around average. So in terms of individual performances, it's been pretty solid. Um, now with that being said, Wake Forest has generated almost zero explosive run plays. They've got a few in the, kind of in that 10 plus range, but in terms of like the 20 plus to 30 plus yard gains, they have, there are very few and far in between. And part of that could be running backs as well. Um, their success rate as an offensive line is, you know, a solid, okay. But again, it's just about those running backs, not being able to get those, those big, big gainers. Um, they're, you know, they're struggling to finish drives. They don't really convert, you know, points per drive inside the 40 particularly well. And they've also given up a lot of havoc. So havoc rate is mainly looking at sacks and tackles for loss and basically negative plays. So they've been, they've been pretty bad there too. Um, you know, I'd say overall, again, it's, it's hard to judge because their, their individual offensive line grades are solid, but it just hasn't translated to team success, I guess. And again, there's lots of reasons for that, but you know, certainly the, the, uh, share of the blame is kind of spread around pretty evenly. All right, Brian, what'd you see on the tape? Yeah. I mean, it kind of backs up what Sheldon's bringing there from a statistical standpoint. Um, you know, they're not elite, but I'd say overall fundamentally sound. They play they play with pretty solid fundamentals, especially in the run game. Um, they're not going to overwhelm a defense, but they don't really miss a ton of assignments either. So they usually get some some pretty you know solid rushes. They're not falling behind the six, even if they're not necessarily getting those you know four or five yarders that you'd like to see to start a start a drive out. Um, and they they don't allow a ton of negative run plays, but they will give up. Um, a lot of that in the in the passing game. So sacks, um, you know, QB yeah. hits, things like that. So pressures. Um, so that, that's something to look out for, especially with that slow mesh. You're, you're definitely going to see that. Um, there'll be some opportunities there if we can, you know, kind of pinch them on the edges, being able to, to force Griffiths into some, some rough uh, situations there in the backfield. And, and what y'all are saying about the offensive line as far as the havoc, I, you, heard, you mentioned that, Shelton. They rank 127 in sacks allowed. They're giving up four and a half sacks per, per game. And 22 <laughs> sacks, 136 yards worth of loss there. I didn't get a chance to look at the TFL. And the other point you make about, Sheldon, they're a good, they're a solid running team. But this is what will catch your eye. They rank 60th. We take 60th right now in the country. Yeah, about 160, 162 yards. Here's the kicker, though. They are one of the only teams in that – kind of statistical range that average under four yards a carry. They're at 3.93. Go to what Sheldon just said. They don't explode. It is a slow grind. So definitely some opportunities there on the offensive side of the ball. Again, it's more of, to me, they're like the little engine that could, right? Yeah. If they're going to beat you, they're going to matriculate it. Yeah. But you got to feel on third down. I was going to say, yeah, it's just kind of like, that's what you expect out of, out of uh, Clawson's team. Like yep. he's just a fundamentally sound coach. He's always got a well-coached team. They usually do the small things right. You know, they don't overwhelm you with flash, but he always has a solid team. So, uh, again, we can't take them lightly. All the stuff that we're talking about is what 
I'm sure the coaches are looking at it and, and, and are going to have to correct. So I think Brian just said it. You got to get off the field on third down. You got to, because they're probably going to be in a lot of third and fours, you know, third and threes. Yep. Because of how they play. And you got to give yourself a chance. You got to get off the field. All right. And the other point is you, you mentioned that, but it's also, Sheldon, again, everything's jiving with some of the stats. 120th in tackle for loss. They're giving up eight tackles for loss a game. I want 15. I want 15 combined sacks, tackles for loss in this game. Damn. You, we we do hard. that. <laughs> ain't no problem. We're going to flip over to the defensive side of the ball now. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about Brad Lambert, uh, someone J.C. Price very familiar with because he was his defensive coordinator while J.C. was down at Marshall. Brian, what sort of scheme is Mr. Lambert running here? Yeah, this is a 4-3. Uh, they've got a stand-up edge that they use um, versus having two guys with their hand in the dirt. Um you know, looking at Lambert, I mean, really everywhere he's been, the defense is kind of taking a step forward. So um, solid, solid coordinator uh, does a good job of getting a good amount out of the talent that he's given, especially at those stops. So, uh, and this is a return trip for him to Wake Forest. He was there a couple years back as well. So um, he's circling back home a little bit here. All righty. Well, let's talk about some of the players. And we're going to start with Jacob Roberts. Jacob Roberts, actually a portal guy. He was one of the top linebackers in the country. He was played down at North Carolina A&T, literally right next door down there to Wake Forest, both in the triad. Um, and he is from Mallard Creek. That's a damn good high school down in the Charlotte area now. Um, and so far this season, really racking up the stats, 40 total tackles, six and a half tackles for loss including that are five sacks also has a forced fumble so um definitely a a, dyna a dynamic player from the stat wise what's the tape say brian yeah i mean he's he's really good at avoiding blockers and making tackles in the run game um solid pursuit takes good angles um, but you know overall i'd say he's not really good in coverage especially if he gets matched up in man responsibilities um, not very good at that uh, that area. Um, they will use him on uh, blitzes. Uh, he'll get, he'll get after the quarterback. Uh, solid in that uh, area of his game, but nothing that I would say would be scary. Um, but but he will get after the passer a little bit. So just probably some opportune timed blitzes. Yeah, it's more kind of scheme based. It's not it's not anything he does necessarily. Um, at the elite level, but the, between the scheme and his just his ability, he's able to you know make some plays here or there. All right, good deal. Anything deeper in the stats, Shelton, on this guy? Yeah, he's really good at pass rush around an 81 grade. He's got eight pressures in the season, which is pretty good for a linebacker. Okay, interesting. So definitely we it correlates with that blitzing that that might be his biggest strong suit and something we need to watch out for, especially with the way our line sometimes plays. Tally, who's next? We got Jay Sheen Davis. He's uh, from Snellville, uh, Georgia, class of 2020. Went to Shiloh High School, I think it's called. Uh, he was a um, four-star guy, 247 four-star guy. Uh, rated a 90 out of high school. Uh, top 500 guy, it looks like. 
479 uh, in the nation coming out of high school. He had some pretty decent offers. You know, Arkansas is in there. Uh, he had an offer from Virginia Tech. He had offers from, um, I think, LSU was in there. Uh, just about the whole ACC, as well as uh, Penn State, Michigan. So he had some pretty decent offers from what it looked like. 6'3", um, 235 coming out of high school. Uh, I think he's right at about 25 tackles this year, um, four and a half sacks. So, I mean, he's getting in the backfield. He is causing some chaos. Brian, what you got on him? Yeah, so I talked about the edge players. One's a stand-up, one's a hand-in-the-dirt. He's the hand-in-the-dirt guy. Um, uses his hands really well to shed blockers and get after the quarterback. Um, they they like moving him around. He's strong enough to play – like they'll slide him inside to a three or a four-eye technique, holds up really well when they shift the front for those blitz looks that they like to bring. Um, and I definitely say overall he's their best defensive player. All right, any any extras on this one, Shelton? Another guy that's also very good in uh, pass rush, top five grader in the ACC, and he's also uh, pretty good in the run game, um, looking up the grade right now. Yeah, so so pretty solid in the run game and really good in pass rush, kind of like uh, like the case for um, for Jacob Roberts. Yeah, looks like we're looking at their right players, and we're going to talk about one more guy. Let's go to the back end of this, and let's talk about Deshaun Jones. Deshaun Jones was a low three star when he came out in 2021. Uh, you take a look at his offer list. The other most exciting offer is probably Kansas. Um, some, some SCS offers got like Elon on there. So not a huge offer list, um, was ranked way down and he was an 83 when he came out of Mount St. Joseph high school out of Baltimore, Maryland. But so far this season, he's having a really good one. 15 total tackles. He is leading the ACC in interceptions with three. Um, and last season as a redshirt freshman, um, Five pass deflections. So, clearly, maybe a little bit of a hawk here. Brian, what's the tape saying on Deshaun Jones? Yeah, he plays uh, primarily lines up at that left corner uh, back position. Um, definitely his best overall cover corner on the team. Um, I'd give him a higher grade in man coverage than zone, um, but he's pretty solid in both. Um I'd call him a willing tackler, but he's also a guy that will miss tackles when he kind of gets his nose in there. Um, and I'd say he could be a little more physical when when playing the ball versus trying to get in there to uh, to, to get the interception. Um, there's there's some opportunities where if he was a little more physical there, um, you might get a pass breakup uh, versus the uh, the reception. So. But uh, definitely their overall best defensive back and uh, a pretty solid cover corner. All right. Anything additional on him, Shelton? Um, no. He actually, oddly enough, it was kind of a weird situation because he did not grade particularly well. Uh, I would say more so since the Elon game, which is you know the first game of the season. Um, but he is a big tackler, and he'll get some some few stops here and there. Coverage wise, pretty solid. Around a sixty six pass rating against. Which you know, it's I mean that's a that's a pretty good number. Um, so he's he's good in coverage. 
All righty. So there are some of the defensive players and some ideas of what we should see scheme-wise from the Wake Forest Demon Deacons on Saturday afternoon. Let's roll to it next, boys. Let's talk about the Hokie Keys. I'm going to start at the bottom here. Shelton, what is one of your big keys for the game on Saturday? Well, putting me on the spot early, um, I would say kind of what I talked about last week, success on early downs defensively. Wake Forest tends to struggle a lot on those early down situations, and I feel like with the way their passing offense is structured, if you can get them in, you know, third and long, that's going to be pretty big because they just they just don't have the, I would say, downfield passing attack uh, required to convert those, you know, those obvious passing downs. With the way that Griffiths has struggled, the way their, their offensive line has been hit or miss in pass protection, um, I just think the, the, the easiest way to win this game is get them in obvious passing downs. All right, get them an obvious passing down. Tally, what about for you? What are some keys you thinking about in this game? You got to get QB1 involved, man. You got to get QB1 involved in the running game early. You know, we don't need to come out and unless you're coming out throwing a bomb on the first play, trying to just catch somebody sleeping, we need to come out and we need to run the ball. We need to come out and we need to get Kyron Drones involved in the run games and also roll that pocket for him. Because he looks pretty good when we roll the pocket and he's uh, kind of throwing on the run. All righty. Brian, what about you? Uh, no rushes over 30 yards this week. <laughs> 30 yards? You're capping 30 it yards. at 30, huh? Capping it at 30. All we, right. That's, that's a pretty big key, so I ain't mad at him. That is a big key. <laughs> and and I'm going to kind of piggyback something that uh, we've been talking about. We've got to start fast. You talk about that bomb tally? Let's throw the bomb. Let's look at Felton going deep early or catch him with a big play early. Um, I think that is going to help. I think it'll help even more because now we know how this team is paced. Yeah. Um, the other piece is I think we've got to force some turnovers. We see Griffiths obviously will throw um, some picks. We obviously know Claiborne will put some on the ground. Um, so, to me, very key that we get at least one. I'd like to see two, um, but we've got to win it. We cannot give them the opportunities because of how they play the game. Them getting the ball off turnovers, it's going to put us at a disadvantage because I know they're going to want to slow it down, and it'll be interesting to see how that goes. All right. I mean, it's, line, it's lining up good for us uh, as far as – what we're seeing, what we're good at, what they're not good at, what they are good at. It's it. This is a team that's coming to our house that we can beat. This is going to be a big week. I said it uh, on Twitter uh, earlier this week. This, not more than any other game, but, you know, this is going to be one of the more important games for Pride this year because where we're at right now, we're two and four. Um, everybody expected you to lose to Florida State. Everybody did. Nobody expects you to win. So it wasn't a huge backlash on losing that game. People are going to critique it. But this Wake team is coming to your house. The line has shifted. We opened up as three-point underdogs, I think. And the line has shifted to now we're favorite, I think, one and a half points. Uh, Vegas knows something. The Hokie fans know something. That fucking coaching staff better know something. You get out there. (laughs) You're at home. You use the crowd. You go beat them. You need to go and beat this team from start of the game to the finish of the game. Like, you don't need to be in no fucking hell game with them because Clawson is a good coach, and 
his team is going to be well coached. So this is good. And, and the reason I say it's a very important game for Pry because when you're going against a coach like him, you got to outcoach him. So for Pry, he can show that he can outcoach good coaches in this game. All righty. Well, let's get into it because now we got to make our predictions here. And, and make some big strangers because, as always, we are watching a lot more than just the Hoagies game. Just it's who we are. And the big screener segment is presented by Prize Fix. Prize Fix, a daily fantasy app where you make entries based on player projected outcomes. Uh, I've got nothing this week because I have not had a chance to look. I've been actually scavenging the waiver wire mm. or anything I can find in fantasy because Justin Jefferson went down. Hey, g- give me is- Geno Smith. Uh- for more than 248 and a half. So who are they playing? They are playing Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Yeah, let's see that happen. Yeah. All right. There, there's Brian. He said that's the one he's going with. So um, you know, go on there. It's really cool. It's really easy to go on there. And especially when you can use um our BC picks sign up code where they will match any deposit up to a hundred dollars when you use that code. Use the QR code you see there or go to boundarycornerbt.com backslash BC picks. Just a real quick brief synopsis. Last week, Brian, three, two, and one. Shelton, four, one, and one. Tally, two, three, and one. And myself, four, one, and one. Fade Tally. Fade Tally. (laughs) Whatever Tally says when we get to the big screeners, go the opposite way. But Tally, I'm going to throw it to you first when it comes to predicting this hokey game. Right now, there's the line right there. Uh, what do you think? You know, I wanted to fade myself because that's just what I wanted to do. But <laughs> I got the Hokies winning this thing, and I'm going to go ahead and give you a score prediction. I got the Hokies taking this game 24-14. All right. Crowd's going to be in it. We're at home. Y'all got all maroon. Well, we'll talk about that off the camera, I guess, with Curtis. You got mostly maroon. Mostly maroon. Not all maroon. Mostly maroon. Curtis said, fuck them stripes. Yeah. You got mostly maroon. Just put all Go maroon. win the game. Go win the game. Brian, what about you? Uh, I am, uh, as always, I'm going with the Hokies, man. Um, I think this is a, a good opportunity to get back on the right track. It's going to put them in a position where they still have an outside shot at making a bowl this season. Um, this is not a very good Wake Forest team. Um, this is not probably the worst Wake Forest team we've probably seen in at least probably four or five years. So Sam this Harvard is an opportunity. Right yeah, the, Sam Harbin's out there. This is an opportunity to punch him in the mouth a little bit and get back on track. All right, Brian with the win as well. Sheldon, what about you? Even the Hokie is straight up 24-21. I think Wake Forest is really beatable. I think their offense is not great. And I think Felderis Payne is going to cook, as the Kitties would say. So give me the Hokies. The I forgot I didn't give my prediction. 31-27 Hokies. 31-27 Hokies. Got it. All right. I, I'm with y'all um, back on the choosing the Hokie train. Um, again, I, I think the way the offense, the defensive line, excuse me, played last week, getting pressure on uh, Jordan Travis and getting pressure against a much better defensive line definitely carries the Hokies through that. And I think to what we said, I think, you know, the, the the run defense for Wake is solid, but I think we can break some. Give me Hokies 31-23. Um, so we, we, we win and we cover. All right. Now we get to go to the big screeners. 
Uh, it was actually some sneaky good games this week. I still don't think it beat a couple weeks ago, but still some sneaky good games. In mine, I am going with the Miami Hurricanes versus the North Carolina Tar Heels. North Carolina is laying three and a half at home in this game. And I might be crazy, but everything I keep thinking about what happened with Miami and Georgia Tech, I feel like they were looking forward to the game against Carolina because it was supposed to be 5-0 versus 5-0, two top 15 teams. And for just a split second, Mario Cristobal thought about that and handed the ball off instead of taking a knee. I don't know who wins this game, but I think it's going to be a tight battle. We saw Miami absolutely annihilate Texas A&M down at home, and I know that was at home. It ain't much of a home field advantage down there because they only show up when they're like 7-9-0. and and Anything less than that, Miami fans don't show up. But I think it's going to be close enough where I will take three and a half points and let it ride. Give me the U. Tally, who you got on this one? Well, like Curtis said, Curtis said, you know, they, they might have been looking ahead, you know, and the coach handed the ball off. But it was a lot of stuff happened after that. They handed the ball off. They fumbled. They got on defense. They gave up a big play. They knew they had to not let a man get in the end zone. Then they gave up another play, got behind everybody. It wasn't even a Hail Mary. He was just open. They're going to go into Chapel Hill. They're going to get their ass beat. That's what's going they're, going up there. they're going up there. They're losing. Uh, they sent him was on the sideline crying, asking them, what the fuck are we doing? He's still saying that all week. Sorry, <laughs> you. Shelton? Yeah, I think there's going to be a little bit of a, uh, a clash of cultures, so to speak, in that Miami locker room. I think they're going to come in a little bit dazed into uh, Keenan Memorial. I think UNC's going to lay a smack in on him. So I got UNC. All right. And you know what? We're going to make it three in a row here. Okay. Um, I, I think that UNC is going to handle some business. Uh, I think Miami, I think, really got exposed a little bit against Georgia Tech. Um, I don't think some of what we saw was a fluke. Uh, and I think that UNC's offense is just going to be too much for him. All righty. Got it. Everybody's got the name on the line now, so no crying about it on Saturday night. <laughs> Tally, you picked the next one, and Tally's going way, way, way out west to Husky Stadium and I the did. Puget Sound, 75,000-plus. Um, You know, this is an interesting game. Now, I haven't watched a ton of of Washington games, but I know that their um, their quarterback's a baller. Uh, matter of fact, I think he left Indiana, right? So Justin Fuente fits white right in now. They run quarterbacks off, and then they go somewhere else and have Heisman careers. Perfect job. I'm taking Oregon in this game. I just think Oregon's going to be the better team, and uh, and they're going to win the game. All right, Sheldon, you're up next on this one. This is going to be an awesome game, but I'm going to take Oregon. I had a tough time picking it because I think you got two really good teams, but I just like Bo Nix, and I think uh, Washington's going to come out a little bit too amped up with their home crowd, so give me Oregon. Brian? I've got Oregon, too. Um, I think that uh, the Huskies have probably the better quarterback overall, but I think that Oregon top to bottom is the better team, and they're going to get it done. 
you, you talk about that home field advantage. It is a home field advantage at Husky Stadium. I think the Huskies come out and win this game by more than three points. I think by a touchdown. I think Michael Penix has some moments. And by the way, y'all, y'all didn't listen to Tally's advice. He said fade him, not go with him on picks. <laughs> they did it. They did it before we got on there. They didn't know. <laughs> they didn't know what you were picking. <laughs> All right. Brian, what is your game of the week, sir? Yeah, I've got uh, I've got UCLA, Oregon State. Uh, Oregon State is laying the three and a half. And you know what? Oregon State, man, they're going to take care of business. Um, I think what we saw from UCLA last week um, is promising, but I think Oregon State just top to bottom is going to be able to handle that, uh, all the noise, and take care of business. Yeah, I'm with you as well um, on this one, Brian. Give me Oregon State. I'll lay the three and a half. I mean, UCLA was playing Wazoo last week. Um, it was a good game. But um, DJU, he, he, he keeps proving over and over. He wants the problem at Clemson. He wants the problem at Clemson. So, give me the uh, later points. Take the Beavers. Is it on uh, me next? Tally, 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 you next. So, yeah, I'm going to go with what my man Thomas Train said. I mean, I think you uh, UCLA's playing some defense, man. You know, a lot of times we don't see defense out there. I think UCLA is playing decent defense, and that's the that's the only way you're going you're gonna to beat uh, DJ. So, I'm taking UCLA. Sheldon, wrap us up here. Taking Oregon State because UCLA is coming off a big win, and typically I like to – Pick against team teams that are coming off big wins. In the fade, fade the big wins. <laughs> fade the big win. By the way, uh, DJ Ugale, ten touchdowns, uh, passing, three rushing, and just three picks. So thirteen to three touchdown to interception ratio so far this year for the four and one Beavers. All right, Shelton, what is your game? Uh, what is my game? We'll have to go if I can see it. Yes, USC ND. So another really good one. I'm taking Notre Dame because, as always, in keeping with my philosophy, they are coming off a uh, very tough loss to Louisville. So I think they're going to bounce back, and I think they're going to beat USC. All righty. Brian? You know what? I'm trusting in Shelton here. Um I think that what we saw last week was not indicative of what Notre Dame is capable of. Um, I think they have a good bounce back week this week. I think you see Hartman play a much better better game this week, and uh, they take care of the Trojans. Nah, not so fast, not so fast. They struggle with that Louisville offense, and I know Brom is a very good head coach and a very good offensive mind, but so is Lincoln Riley, and Lincoln Riley got a lot more weapons um, where is this game? I did not get a chance to look at that regardless. I'm assuming, yeah, it's got to be at Notre Dame if they're favored by just the normal hook. Yeah, I, I I don't know if, I mean, it could get as ugly as it did late Saturday night because it got ugly late Saturday night because that offense is not clicking for Notre Dame. <laughs> Take the over, whatever that is. I'll look it up while Tally gives his prediction here. Oh, man, just watching again. I, I really like Sam Hartman. I think he's a, a good quarterback and just a good good kid. But in a lot of games that I've watched Notre Dame, they're not scoring a lot of points. Um, I don't think 
USC has a good defense, but I know they got a damn good offense. So unless Notre Dame's going to score points with them, I think <laughs> I think it's over with. I think uh, Caleb Williams and USC goes in there and wins. And the, the over-under is 62 and a half. I think I would take the over on that right now as we speak. That's at Notre Dame Stadium, 730. Some really good set, some really good nightcap games. Carolina, Miami's a nightcap game. And this next one we're going to discuss is a nightcap game. And I threw it on here because, um, A, if Duke wins this game, Mike Elko will be the Michigan State head coach. Book it. If he's not already in principle signed with them. So, Curtis? What? You say he gone already? He gone already. He ain't fooling. They they willing to pay somebody a hundred million dollars up there to be an average coach. Um, and plus with Elko, I think he fits in that coaching at Notre Dame for a few years, coaching at Wake for a few years. I think he fits with probably what they want to do. But this game again, another Saturday night game. If y'all see it, Duke laying three and a half. Brian, lead us off. It's Duke. Um, I don't trust what NC State's doing on offense. So until they show me something on offense, I can't trust them anymore. So I'm going Duke here. Same, same. Even though they showed something against Marshall, um, we've seen Duke take care of a lot more talented teams. Later three and a half, I think Duke wins by like 10. Tally? What's going on with Duke's quarterback? Not good. He's out. He's out. North Carolina State has a tackling machine over there. Whoever they put in there, if they're not ready, Peyton Wilson is going to feast. Um, I don't think that their offense is that good, but I know uh, Duke's quarterback was the machine that drove their offense. So I'm taking North Carolina State. Sheldon, last one. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like Wilson's been in college for forever. But anyways, yeah. um, I feel like this is the type of game where, you know, a team's missing a quarterback and you think, oh, well, they're going to lose. But they come out and just play with their hair on fire. I think NC State is going to get thoroughly outcoached just based on gut feel. And I think Duke's going to win the game. There we go. Fade there. That's what I would have did. Perfect. <laughs> we faded. Y'all faded me. Then we faded Tally. Yeah. Good job. There we go. I don't blame you. Anything <laughs> else breaking tonight? Hey, look, y'all, like 90 minutes. We got it right on time this time. Well, we got right down the middle, man. Right down the middle. We got Sheldon working now. We got to get him in bed at a good time. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Needs a good eight hours. Listen, there, there are points in your life where you just sacrifice to sleep. This is one of them. This is one of the nights right here that I'll sacrifice sleep along with Sunday night. I sacrifice sleep Sunday night, boys. <laughs> yeah, you See saw Kettle's uh, fucking legacy game, man. <laughs> legacy game, trifecta, touchdowns. I think that was our defense legacy game because Dallas, if y'all didn't know, I'm a 49ers fan, been a 49ers fan since I was a kid. That was a throttling. Yeah. That was a beat down. And I yeah. happily stayed up and watched every snap of that game until 1130 on Sunday to go to work on Monday. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't mind me. I would have to. Yeah, had to have something made me feel good after Saturday night, especially my fantasy team ain't doing good either. All righty. <laughs> Is anything breaking? Nothing I'm, breaking, I'm, but Andretti, keep your head up, man. I've been seeing right. your comments. Keep your head up. I'll be I, all right. I'm going right, to put this out here. It was tweeted about 730, so a little bit before. 
Eric Hobeck, who writes for Inside or uh, Streak in the Lawn, one of the UVA sites, he is saying multiple sources close to the situation. Key UVA donors have effectively got the money to buy out Tony Elliott and his staff. Oh, already? Already. I wanted him to stay there for a little while. What he doing? <laughs> yeah, he bullshitting over there. So just take that what you will. I don't know if anything's going to come to fruition of it. Uh, again, he's saying they've got the money to do it. The question is, do you just flip it and rip it? And who's actually going to be willing to go and coach UVA? I think that's the problem with pulling the – like, you know, this isn't, you know, USC. This isn't Florida. This isn't right. any – you know, Tennessee. This isn't a place where you can pull the plug really quick and still attract top talent like – this was a tough, tough job to accept right? without the, the feeling that you're only going to get one year, two years to show what you can do before the plug gets pulled on you. So I don't know if this is the best idea just from UVA standpoint. Um, I'm, I, I would much rather say keep Tony in there because I think we're doing a much better job on the at least the things off the field compared to uh, what, what's going on over at UVA. So if we can keep that up, all the better. But if UVA wants to move on, I feel like they're going to have just as hard a time getting a, a quality candidate coming in there, especially after doing something like that. So, What if they get food, like Thomas said? <laughs> please. Please. Absolutely. Man. Yeah, he'll go prove to us that he is a good coach, and he'll go win the ACC over there. I'd be Man. pissed. Fucking Fuente. Nah. All right. Well, boys, let's wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast brought to you by the Main Street Pharmacy. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Jonathan Talley. And I am Shelton Moss. Visit the website BoundaryCornerVT.com to listen to all of our episodes. Check the merchandise shop out while you're there. Follow us, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, what we're going to start doing, and we started it tonight. I threw it in there a little while ago. Um, at least I thought I did. Maybe I didn't. YouTube, subscribe for it. Um, we're also going to start putting the link in the Twitter stream every week. So you can click on that. Why, you ask? Why are we going to do that? Well, click on that. You can listen to it. We are set up in a way where you can actually close YouTube down. The video and the audio still pop up. So you can listen to us while you scroll Twitter. You don't have to keep going past us or... Check it out. So we're going to start doing that next week. Um, as always, our buddy Jason Long plays us in, plays us out. Uh, check him on at his website, jasonlongmusic.com. Check out all of his stuff. Apple Pops, Spotify, YouTube, and Facebook pages. Also, do not forget to subscribe to your, any of our podcast places. Uh, he does have a song I think we should hook up in the next couple weeks, Brian, off that EP. A little Halloween music. If you didn't yeah. know Got to, I think we got to, we, we got to close that out one night over the next couple weeks. Um, we thank you all for listening. And as always, let's go. Okay. Okay. Peace.